In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 13. A quick note to listeners, at some point during this episode, we'll be discussing a topic that may not be suitable for all audiences. Hosea 13 depicts God's wrath against Israel for their unfaithfulness and idolatry. God reminds them of their past glory, but warns of their impending destruction due to their rejection of him in favor of idols and military strength. The coming assault will be severe, and Hosea is explicit about the level of violence that the invading nation will inflict upon the people, even the women and children. Good morning and blessed Lenten tide. Today is Thursday, March 23rd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is sponsored in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, which assists congregations and missionaries in sharing the good news of Jesus through Lutheran materials translated into foreign languages. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more about how they can help you and support you in spreading the gospel and to explore their whole range of offerings. That's lhfmissions.org. Well, folks, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning to guide us in our discussion of Hosea chapter 13, the penultimate chapter. That's the next to last. It's going to be the Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Forest Park, Illinois. Good morning, uh, Pastor Payton. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Bo. Very good to be with you. Yeah, it's excellent to have you on. Now, I know it's been actually a couple of years since you've been on Thy Strong Word. The last time you were on the show, you were with my predecessor, and you guys were discussing Leviticus. And now we've brought you back, and we're right sort of knee-deep in Hosea, which is another law-filled uh, text, but it's it's more on the judgment side than just sort of the proclaiming the law. Um, but we have plenty to talk about today, but before we dive in, since this is the first time you've been on the show with me, I just wondered, would you mind sharing with the listeners just a little bit about yourself and how God's working through your ministry and the saints there in Forest Park? Yeah, I'm, a, as you mentioned, I'm at Forest Park, Illinois at St. John. Um, my wife, Lori, and I, uh, we've been married now 40 Three years. We're originally from California, so this is uh, quite different for us. We've been now in Forest Park for 13 years. Um, it's it's a mile and a half south of Concordia University, uh, Chicago. So we have the privilege of having college students with us now and then. Um, and lovely old sanctuary and beautiful organ, and, and life's good. Uh, it is um, very much an urban place. It's uh, at the end of the blue lines and green lines in in Chicago, just just immediately west of Oak Park. So it's a very urban and and uh, urbanly dense place. And um, I, I would say um, uh, socially and uh, morally quite liberal. Um, very few children actually in the in the region. Um, lots and lots of singles, and uh, lots that uh, goes with American culture right now, and and uh, a lot of drifting and wickedness. But it's the mission field where we are, and 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 God has people here, and 
has us to be uh, a light in a dark place. Absolutely. I mean, you could see that as a detriment. And of course, it is a detriment that people are not following after the will and ways of God. But it's also, you know, as you said, an opportunity, a, a mission field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were you were recently also on KFUO, uh, relatively recently, talking about pro-life issues. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about your involvement with, with that particular front of the battle. Right. Um, first of all, um, because of uh, the context where we are, uh, we must be very careful. Uh, we could get a lot of blowback very easily. We, we, we could be uh, on the news at 10 very easily if we were uh, wildly outspoken. Um, and, and, and by the way, I am, uh, I, I, I affirm that God gives life right at conception and that it's his to give and to take and not ours to give and to take. But we must be, from where we are, we must be careful with our tactics. And really, we are loud about what we are for. And what we are for is that uh, life is good and God gives it and God blesses it. And so we're for that. And, we're, uh, and, and we extol uh, the, the much neglected vocation of motherhood. Uh, it's a gift from God, you know, a blessing from the beginning in Genesis chapter one, where God said, "Be fruitful and multiply." He hasn't changed his mind on that being a, a blessing, and and yeah, it's it's hard work. Mothers work really hard, uh, and it's grueling. But God be praised, uh, it's a vocation that we desperately uh, need. If if you watch the news at all on. Um, on uh, replacement fertility rates in the world, and and even the kinds of problems that we're having now with the, with how we're going to fund social security. Well, we haven't uh, we we haven't born and raised the children who would be even the next taxpayers. So uh, these are the kinds of things that we uh, wind up uh, talking about uh, in in life movements in our context. Well, and like you said, with the current culture, as you describe it, in that area, there's plenty of opportunities to show people the light about um, pro-life issues and how, of course, God is the one who's in control, and we're here to support people as they bear the curse, no matter what that curse ends up being for them. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, we have a lot to talk about today. In fact, probably some pro-life issues by the end of the chapter, mm-hmm. but we're going to begin at the top. But even before that, I'd like to invite you to start us off with a prayer. I'd really appreciate that. Mm. Uh, Lord God, our Father, you have given us the words of your prophet Hosea um, that are timeless words in which you speak to us in our time as well. And we pray that you would give us uh, ears uh, to hear those words and hearts to receive them favorably, lips to speak them, and then lives uh, to live them out uh, for the blessing of our neighbor and to your glory. Uh, Through your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are in chapter 13, the next to last chapter in the prophecy, and we've been trudging through some pretty heavy descriptions of God's impending judgment against Israel, against Judah, really against all of his people, 
They have turned to other nations in order to uh, try to save themselves from from the, the problems they face. They've turned to idols. They've turned everywhere but to the Lord. Uh, is there anything in particular that the people might need to know about or to catch them up, so to speak, before we head in to reading our verses set for today? Yeah, I, I would say uh, what we're dealing with here is um, a rather decadent society that has enjoyed a period of uh, of, of relative prosperity under uh, the King Jeroboam II. Uh, interesting because all of this is under the shadow of King Jeroboam the first who made those uh, golden uh, those golden calves at, uh, that he placed in Bethel and Dan uh, and as we move through chapter 13 I'm sure uh, that topic will come up but the but the the importance here I think is to understand um, the the um, the the danger in this kind of comfort and opulence that they have enjoyed uh, because it, then it's very easy to forget uh, the Lord um, and, and, and indeed uh, to let your loyalties drift. That's really what the whole book is about. The first three chapters start really with this, with uh, Hosea and his wife as, as um, a living parable, if you will, of this business of, of uh, the unfaithfulness of Israel uh, so, so that, so there's that living parable, and then the subsequent chapters uh, take us through uh, really a lot of judgment uh, on on that idolatry, the the idolatry of the people of Israel in having their uh, loyalties shifted to other deities. Well, and so that's why the Lord's judgment is going to be so severe against them, because he's, well, he's been calling them to return to the Lord through Hosea. Hosea's been proclaiming these things for, I think it's something like 40 years, correct me if I'm wrong. And and so when we get into 13, this is really just, you know, you might, we might think, okay, we've heard this message before. We've heard, uh, sorry, Isaiah, we've heard Hosea uh, proclaim similar messages already in this book. Well, this is a proclamation that's happening over the course of time. And so he's, he's, he's discovering new abominations they're doing. He's uh, finding out that people aren't relenting or returning. Uh, so, so he has to keep preaching the same thing, just like we do sometimes as pastors. Mm-hmm. And so when we begin our text for today, we're starting with Ephraim. And Ephraim is this tribe that has asserted its Supremacy in the north. It's it's made itself the most important. Uh, it's the site of uh, the worship center at Bethel, as you already said. It's been corrupted by Baal worship or Baal worship. Uh, but really, Ephraim, in general, is the is the generic term that the prophet also uses to speak of all of Israel. Mm-hmm. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, but when we're going to be talking, he's he's going to start with Ephraim. Trying to bring to their remembrance the time when they, well, they used to carry some weight, and now that's no longer the case. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Here we go. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images 
idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the flesh threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. So I think, and, and I guess it sort of varies depending on how you're feeling when you're reading these things, but I think this is starting to be the most um, graphic so far of all the prophecies we've read, and it begins with this, this reminder that not only are they Baal worshipers, but to worship Baal or Baal is to really engage in things like not only just bowing down to golden idols, but human sacrifice. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you have something to talk about that. I'd love to hear it. Just starting at the top, take us through this, Pastor. You know, what is going on? Right. So uh, so that's true. Ephraim is... Um, really does stand for the whole of the Northern Kingdom. And as you'll recall, that Northern Kingdom uh, was formed uh, when they <clears throat> split off during the time of Rehoboam, uh, son of Solomon in the south. <clears throat> and when they did that, the uh, and by the way, the first king was a man named Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the Lord gave those Northern Ten tribes uh, to Jeroboam to rule, uh, but Jeroboam at that point lost faith in the Lord and worried that the northern ten tribes would come back down into the south to Jerusalem to worship there, and so he set up this alternative worship in both Dan and Bethel, um, these golden calves, and he set up an alternative priesthood that was no longer of the Levites, and he set up alternative uh, worship dates. So really a, an entirely new form of worship. Um, and because of that kind of inventiveness, it became very easy then for uh, other, uh, other local deities and practices to be hooked onto that. Um, this business of human sacrifice is um, normally associated with the uh, false god Molech. Um, evidently it had become uh, normal there in the northern kingdom. But those who kiss calves, those who do this kind of worship, well, they will also uh, sacrifice their kids. Interestingly, there is this, this summary passage. It's, it's really a valuable passage in 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, when the last king and this is just is roughly the time of Hosea, or at least towards the end of his career. Uh, the last king, a man na named Hosea, was uh, not to be confused with the prophet Hosea, but Hosea, uh, the last king, um, was defeated by the Assyrian uh, Empire um, in 722 BC. And and uh, whoever wrote First King, or sorry, Second Kings, gives this this tremendous summary of why the Lord let this happen. Uh, and in, in 2 Kings chapter uh, 17, verse 17, he says, they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves uh, to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. 
You know, Moses had foreseen this, and he'd written about it already in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 12, when they were still wandering uh, in the desert and hadn't yet crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. And he said, you know, when you come into this new land, this is Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, 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 you shall not worship the Lord your God the way uh, they do for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. And then here's the really critical phrase, uh, and that adverb even, listen to that, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. You see, of all the horrible things that you could do, this one is beyond them. And, and so, so we find that here it is just mentioned almost in passing in Hosea chapter 13 that, you know, you do this kind of worship, eventually you wind up doing that one too. It's Just a both. horrific thing for people to think about today. You know, when they look at this text, they say, you know, oh, that just seems so backwards, and we don't think about, well, there's idol worship. We might think of, like, the Aztecs as being the most recent civilization that sacrificed their kids upon the altars to their gods. Um, but, you know, making that connection to mm-hmm. our current society, which oh, is yeah. why I brought up pro-life issues at the very beginning— you know, just as we talk about how the idols today are often not things made of stone, gold, and silver, but rather anything, as Luther would say, that we put our faith, hope, and trust in becomes our God, mm-hmm. so many people today are sacrificing humans mm-hmm. for the gods of their own independence or pleasure or any other variety of things that, you know, just even convenience. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what we're fighting against or proclaiming against, kind of like Hosea in the midst of a people who doesn't want to hear what he has to say, uh, we, we find ourselves calling out to this world, saying idol worship is not a thing of the past. Even human sacrifice is not a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you agree with that, or what's your thoughts? Well, yeah, and, and what's really insidious for us in our time is that because we don't see something like um, um, uh, something that looks to us like a religious ritual or that has idols. Uh, we, we're oblivious to the fact that that's exactly what's going on. That, that, uh, that when, when I think my life would be better if this baby didn't exist, um, that is, that is now, um, that, that is a, that is a religious truth claim right there. And, and therefore, uh, when we have these places where this uh, the killing of babies in their mother's wombs goes on, uh, those are actually uh, religious sites. They are sites of a false god uh, because we are looking to being rid of that child uh, so that life will be better. And we find that throughout the, throughout the Old Testament. There was a point where the, uh, uh, the, the uh, southern kingdom of Judah um, uh, made war against Moab and things were going badly for Moab uh, uh, in the battle. And the king of Moab finally uh, on the walls of the city sacrificed his own son. Uh, So that's really where we are. It's just that we happen to have um, uh, given it all kinds of nice names 
um, you know, a woman's right to choose, uh, you know, my body, my choice, those kinds of things. And, and then um, clinical names like Planned Parenthood clinics and so, so that these sound neutral, but they're not neutral. They're, they're, they're issues of who you're worshiping and who you trust. And make no mistake, the people of Judah and the people of Israel who were engaging these things, they believed that they were being very religious, right? I mean, they, they believed that they were doing the right things and that people that opposed them were the ones that were wrong. And so I think that this division between, you know, the true God who calls his prophets to proclaim against the wickedness of the world and the world who doesn't want to hear it and wants to kill the prophets who come to them is is something that we have to keep in mind, too, because I, I believe a lot of Christians today, they get really frustrated because they think about it logically. You know, if life begins in the womb, then there are people who are taking that life and they shouldn't be. And it just seems so logical that that's murder. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I even see within the within the pro, so-called pro-life movement or just the pro-life that uh, you know, Christians uphold this idea that, well, you know, let's say you heard about a, a warehouse downtown where they were taking three-year-olds, one-year-olds, two-year-olds, and, and just slaughtering them one after the other, and they were doing this for some whatever wicked, evil purpose, then people would storm that place and, and shut it down. Mm-hmm. And yet when we say, well, people are extinguishing life within the womb, then people I, I genuinely think they don't get up in the same kind of up in arms about it because mm-hmm. even though we believe, profess, and teach what the Bible teaches that, that life begins in the womb, I still think Christians, for the most part, treat it differently. Mm-hmm. It then becomes about, you know, well, gentle education, not the same response you would have if the child was already born. So it seems like even within the Christian community, there's a, a division between how this is responded to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I don't have quick answers to uh, to how to uh, how to oh, go about not. changing that. These are um, yes, you're right. If, if there was a place that that uh, that had a big sign and said "We slaughter two year olds here," uh, I think that there would be an immediate outcry from almost everyone. Right. Um, and so it's it's fascinating to watch how um, even how these born alive bills are playing out uh, because that's getting close to that, isn't it? Yeah, right, right. Oh, absolutely. And because this is where it's kind of going, you know, there, as you just said, the born alive bills where, you know, if we attempt an abortion and it fails and the ch- child is is born and continues to live outside the womb, that um, we're going to sit there and let it die. Yeah. I, and it's tough, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot or anybody else. I'm just trying to put it out there sort of to the ether. While we certainly don't approve of anybody taking violent action against anybody, don't mistake me there, at the same time, we, we, we would be figuratively, I should make very clear, up in arms about it, right? We'd be very upset. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this should be something that's really important to our hearts because this is indicative of false worship. Mm-hmm. And I only bring it up now because I, do I think that's the primary issue here in the text Hosea? No, it's broader than that. But it is a symptom of mm-hmm. a world that focuses not on the one true God, but rather on their selves, as he says. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in verses four and following, I do want to add those to the conversation. 
we get, uh, as God always does, we get hope. We get some uh, some grace, a, a glimmer of the purpose for which God is telling all of these things through Hosea. And I'm going to read now, again, verses 4 through 8. Mm-hmm. But I am Yahweh your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open." So I said it starts with grace. I didn't say it ended with grace. <laughs> we right. definitely have right. this this indication, though, that he still says, he doesn't say, forget you guys, you're so wicked, I don't have anything to do with you anymore. He begins, Pastor, by saying, I am Yahweh, your God, from the land of Egypt, you know no God but me, right? I brought you out of the land of Egypt, that, that common refrain that marks him as the one who saves. What what a beautiful message, even in the midst of this very graphic, impending word of judgment. Yeah, and and I think that I think the implication there is is, is again the Lord saying, if, if I could get you to remember that I did this for you, um, and this is who I am, do you think I would do it for you again? I think that's always the implication. I think what all the great salvation stories of the Old Testament, are not not only do they point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, but they always always have this implication that this is who God is. This is what he is like. And, you know, if you turn and trust him, call on him in the day of trouble and he will uh, deliver you, you'll find that this is uh, this is how this works. I mean, that's the point, is to call them back, right? I'm your, there is no Savior besides me. Um, and okay. even, oh, if I, if I might add, um, it, it, you know, as we scoot along down there and, and there are the images of those, uh, those, those beasts tearing us apart uh, limb to limb, um, you, goodness only comes from God so that when you dismiss him, this other world of horror and things being torn apart is just the way it is. Um, God, uh, uh, you know, there's that, there's that verse in James that uh, every good and every perfect gift is coming down uh, from the Father of lights. Every good gift comes from him. If you don't want to have him around, you've lost the source of good gifts. And what's left is chaos and terror. And they took uh, for granted those good gifts. I think that's what we're seeing in yep. verse 6. Yes. You know, way back in Hosea chapter 4, verse 7, uh, the prophet says, The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. Of course, that's Yahweh speaking through the prophet. Mm-hmm. And then it says here, but when they had grazed, as you pointed out, on the good gifts of the Lord, they became full. They were filled up. Their heart was lifted up. 
therefore they forgot me. Going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, 15, you grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this therefore you forgot me is based on the the idea that they are satisfied. They think they have it all made. They forget their creator. They forget where these good things come from. And you already pointed out that they're living in this opulent time, but that's striking to me because despite maybe our rocky economy right now, brother, we live in an opulent time. There's no questioning about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it has the same kind of of drifting idolatry and complacence. I, you know, I, I think, um, uh, if we just ask this question right now in our culture, broadly speaking, how many people are hungering and thirsting uh, for the word of God? Well, well, it's almost a rhetorical question. It's as though there's simply little or no interest at all. Um, and, uh, we, we, I think of the days past where, where you know, you would have uh, a. I'm just, I'm just thinking, kind of even like the tent revival days of the Americas, or you know, you would have a not a, an access to the scriptures that you normally would, and so a preacher would roll into town, and the whole town would show up to hear him, mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also think about you know the reading of the Word of God to people who haven't heard it for a while. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, you know Old Testament books and Ezra and that kind of thing where. You know, that now they're all clamoring to hear God's word because they hadn't heard it. When, when Moses freed people uh, from Egypt and he's out there and he starts proclaiming the word of God passed down to him, uh, despite their, uh, you know, their, their uh, abomination in the desert waiting for him to come off the mountain. But still, the people gather around. People are interested. Mm-hmm. In this day and age, people are simply not interested. Mm-hmm. Now, you could write a book that says, oh, a new perspective on the Bible, or the real Jesus, or what Paul really meant, or why Paul doesn't matter, or whatever you can come up with to commentate on the Bible that puts it in some sort of new or scandalous light, I think people will still eat that up, but it's almost like they're bored with the very words from the creator of the universe, and that is a sign of people frankly, having too much time on their hands. I think it's a product of our uh, of, of the opulent lifestyle, of the luxuries that we have. We feel like we don't really have to rely on the Lord. But when you're spending your days and your hours plowing and, and, your, and your spouse is taking care of the household and you, know, you have very little time to just lay around and, and try to think of new ways to sin, I think life is a little different. And I, I see that happening then and I see it happening today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 the, uh, the decadence and the opulence. Um, uh, we we are we are up to our eyeballs in it. Um, I I think maybe one of the evidences of that is simply the amount of things that we can consume on a screen and do. Just uh, we could be um, diverted twenty four seven, and and some people are. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I, as a parent of uh, a preteen and teenager, I can tell you that they will, if we let them, they will just sit there and absorb one thing after another, and it's not always healthy from the screens that they see. 
Well, I tell you what, we're up against a break, so we're going to take that break. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Peyton and I will continue with Hosea chapter 13. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Booth, and with me today is the Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Forest Park, Illinois. Folks, I hope you're enjoying our discussion as we dive deeper into the Word of God. Remember that if you have any thoughts or questions, feedback, or anything you just want to say, maybe you just want to say hello, email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. I, I love hearing from you. Remember, you can tune in to Thy Strong Word in all kinds of ways. On the radio, if you're in the St. Louis area, you can listen live on kfuo.org or even on demand after the show is over. If you're always on the go like me, you can download the KFUO app, and that's what I use. I, I use uh, Android Auto in my truck, and I listen to KFUO's programs in my car, which is amazing, or just on the phone through Bluetooth. You can also subscribe to Thy Strong Word uh, on your favorite podcasting platform. I mean, there are so many ways. We were talking earlier about, uh, you know, all different ways you can consume information. Well, why don't, we, why don't you consume something that's going to broaden your horizons and get you deeper in God's Word? So, I'm, and I'm glad, and you're probably going to do that because you've joined us for the study today. So I'm very grateful to you. Well, Pastor, before the break, we were, uh, we were talking about that very thing, all the different things that we could possibly consume Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much out there. I, I heard, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but there is uh, on YouTube, which is, I, I like to watch a lot of YouTube videos. I like uh, pen making. I'm a pen maker. So I like watching pen making videos. I like watch videos, you know, like wristwatches. I like watching these kind of things. But there is so much content uploaded to YouTube every hour. It just, it, it's so unending that one person could never even watch just a fraction of just that one place of content. Imagine all the others. Uh, we are, are um, we have a, a, an abundance of information, but probably a lack of wisdom. I don't, I don't know how you see it, but that's how I see it. Mm -hmm. I, I disagree entirely. It, uh, it, it, it's a lot of work just sorting down to what you really need to know. Um, I get, I won't name names, but, but my wife and I gave up a, um, a particular platform recently just because it took about 30 minutes to find something we really like to watch. Oh, sure. To spend so much time looking for that one thing. Cause there was so much to, uh, to sift through. Well, and I wanted to say, I did get the number. Um, it's actually on YouTube alone. It's over 500 hours of video content are uploaded to the platform every minute. 
Wow. So that's 720,000 hours of new video every day or 262 million every year. So, yeah, and, and, I, and I also, too, I, I have subscriptions to these different uh, streaming platforms for different shows. And, of course, there's podcasts out there. You know, we have podcasts for Thy Strong Word and, and Sharper Iron also on KFUO. We have all kinds of great programs, Concord Matters. We have great programs that you can engage in, and, and I hope you do. But at the same time, you could spend so much time just consuming content um, from a variety of different sources, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult to be able to discern what's good and what's bad. And if you have kids out there or grandkids, trust me, they are consuming lots of content probably at a rate that is uh, they shouldn't be expected to be able to process it all or, or understand it, but they're being influenced by it. But anyway, I don't want to derail the topic anymore, but it's certainly something that's worth, worth discussing. So back in our text, though, Hosea 13, he talked about how they had grazed and become full. Their heart was lifted up, and they forgot him. But he said he's like a leopard lurking beside the way. He's going to fall on them like a bear robbed of her cubs. Mm. Yeah, you don't mess with mama bear. And here's God saying, hey, listen, I'm like mama bear. I'm going to tear you open. But that sounds so violent from God. How do we reconcile that? Well, uh, again, I, it, it, it's never God's intention. God doesn't desire the death of a sinner, but that all repent. Uh, it's just the moment that you dismiss him, all that's left is tearing open. That's it. He, he, the, the, only the good things come from him. They only come from him. And, and, and when we experience good things in the midst of idolatry, what we're really experiencing is his patience. He, he, he's continuing to uh, be patient with us and try and woo us back to loyalty to him. But finally, uh, there comes some kind of tipping point, some moment where he finally says, okay, if that's the way you want it here, this is... Uh, well, let's add verses nine. Not, uh, uh, let's, say, let's add verses nine, ten, and eleven because it starts to get at what I think you're talking about. Okay, um, he says, "I will destroy you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, 'Give me a king and princes'? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath." Mm-hmm. So. So God does give people what they want. You know, they demanded a king. He gave them a king, even though that wasn't his original desire for them. Mm-hmm. And now he's basically saying, I'm your helper. Where's the king you put all your faith in? Where, where are all these kings? There were a lot of illegitimate kings during this time, too. Where are all these people? Where are your rulers? Yeah, the history of the northern kingdom is, is, uh, is pretty violent. It's it's. One dynasty followed after another after another through assassinations. And uh, and this business of I gave you a king, I think it points really in two directions historically. One goes all the way back to King Saul um, at the end of the period of Judges. Uh, but the other, I think my, we could refer back to um, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, the first king of the northern kingdom. 
uh, because in God's wrath, the, the wrath was really aimed at, uh, at Solomon's idolatry. Uh, that kingdom, uh, the, the, the kingdom of, of, of the whole of Israel, uh, could have remained intact had Solomon uh, not engaged in, uh, in, in idolatry and led the people into idolatry. So, yeah, where are your kings and your princes? They, they, it, it, it appears we may even be at that point that the Assyrian army has actually defeated the last of the northern kings, Hosea. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the prophet Hosea may be looking uh, really at the wreckage. You know, in, the, in chapter 1, uh, we find that uh, it, we get the time frame for the prophet Hosea and his work. And it's almost the same as, as Isaiah in the south uh, at the time of the kings of uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It's interesting. I, I've, I've always found it interesting that, uh, that Hosea is, is dated uh, not according to uh, northern kings, but according to southern kings. Hmm, uh, yeah. This is verse 1 of chapter 1, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So this is almost identical to the time of the prophet Isaiah, um, who who may have even uh, may have even experienced uh, well well uh, Isaiah probably uh, lived well into the uh, the seventh century. So I, I think Hosea, I think I think my point is this: I think Hosea, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Hosea uh, the prophet. I think he actually saw. Uh, the destruction happened, so he's able to say now, uh, this is what I was telling you about. Now, where are your kings? They're not going to come through for you. They've been defeated. It's time for you to do some serious reckoning and, and repenting. This is a well, hot mess. And it is a hot mess, and he's not mincing words. In, mm -hmm. in the following verses, 12, 13, and 14, though, um, there's the turn that we were looking for earlier. This is the turn. This is the grace, this is the, the hope that they have, but this is the hope that's been here the whole time. I mean, the only reason that God is even sending Hosea and people like Isaiah and others to proclaim these things is not because he hates his people, but because he loves them, even when they are sinners. Uh, reading with verse 12 through 14, here we go. The inequity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. But I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Okay, so it's, you know, it, it's... We, we have the, the hints here. We even have like what, what Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians, uh, and we'll, I'm sure you'll talk about that. Uh, but just beginning at the top, you know, the inequity or the sin of Ephraim, that's Israel, is bound up. His sin is kept in store. We talk so often about God literally forgetting our sins, remembering them no more. But here we have him essentially saying, I'm going to remember this. How do we take that? Right. Well, if you if you let God have your sin, he takes it and forgets it. 
and, and Jesus really did die for the sin of the whole world. Uh, the only sins that condemn us are those that we take back from him. So if we take them back and hold on to them, uh, then God looks and sees, and sure enough, uh, the accounting is ugly. Um, and, and in our time, the way we take uh, those sins back are um, when we look at God's law and disagree with him about it, and we make alternative law, uh, and then when we affirm that uh, those alternative laws, uh, what's happened is that we've taken sin back, sin that Jesus died for. Um, and so now we have that sin to our credit and it is bound up and God looks and there it is. And it's ugly and it brings wrath. So we see here, though, that the pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son, for at the right time he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Mm -hmm. I think that might be a phrase that we need to unpack, or at least a, a thought process. Um, what's, uh, what's going on here? Is this like, uh, is the imagery one of a, of a child who's late in coming? Um, I don't know. There's a reference here to 2 Kings 19. Uh, they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. Mm -hmm. Do you know what's going on here? Um, my, here, here would be my take on that. Um, when you dismiss God, everything, um, nothing works. So, so now natural, even natural processes just don't even, it, it, childbirth should just happen. The, right. the, the birth pangs begin and the, 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 the mother's uterus moves that baby around. The baby moves around, gets his head facing down and she pushes and out he comes. And that's, and that should be like the sun coming up in the morning. It should just be normal. So but, he's describing, it sounds like you're saying, he's describing Ephraim as like this, um, uh, well, he called him earlier a wild donkey, so let's use that. Mm -hmm. He has this this wild donkey of a man who's not, who's not, uh, who's being stubborn. Mm -hmm. So he, the time for birth has come. I've called you to repentance. It's time for you to be reborn, so to speak, and yet you don't want to come out. You want to you, you want to hold on. You don't want to go with what's natural. You want to go with what is uh, unnatural. You're, you're trying to stay in as opposed to come out. Am I getting the right image? I, I think that is right. Yeah, I think that is exactly right. Yeah. And then he says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Just mm -hmm. focusing on that text. You know, Sheol is an interesting concept in the Old Testament because Sheol, sometimes personified as like this enemy of life, uh, most often describes the just place of the dead, either the grave itself or perhaps some supernatural place of the dead, uh, whether that's a holding place, an interim state. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little d difficult to understand fully, in my opinion, 
uh, to, to, to make it clear the theology, I suppose, about afterlife at this point. But what is, what is being said here? I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. A Sheol and death here are both personified as sort of the enemies of life. Mm-hmm. Well, when we take it that way, when we read the verb that way, then then obviously it's it's simply God who is overriding um, our rebellion and and simply overriding it with a force of grace to uh, to undo all the horrible things that we're doing and causing. Uh, and, and 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 ransoming, by the way, is uh, is about buying back. So, so so like the uh, the idolatry or, or the the adulterous wife in the beginning, who even sold herself into prostitution, um, he is actively coming and getting us back from uh, or getting Ephraim back, if you will, from a a, a position of of having gone into this uh, idolatry and adultery. Uh, you know, uh, we had um, last week in the three-year series, we were in John chapter four with the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. And she would have been a descendant of all of this Assyrian conquest. So she would have been mixed breed. She would have been part Israelite and part everything else. Um, and, and here came Jesus to her and, and ransomed her. And she'd had uh, five husbands, and the one she was living with right now isn't her own. Uh, in, in many ways, much like the, uh, the unfaithful wife at the beginning of uh, Hosea. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I I have to admit, I'd almost forgotten about Gomer because it's, well, it's been a long time. And about halfway through the book, the, the, the sort of the, the image changed from that of a husband and wife to like father and son. But it's still ever present, right? Because we have Hosea who had to undergo this betrayal so that he could connect to God and the way that God feels about the infidelity of the people. But yeah, a couple of weeks ago, we had that text on the woman at the well. Yeah, it didn't occur to me to make that connection, um, which is that here she is chasing after a, uh, a different men. Maybe it's because of her social situation. Maybe it's men taking advantage of her. Maybe it's because she just wants to be with a bunch of different men. I've, I hear people try to get everybody off the hook in that story besides just acknowledging the fact that there is sin, uh, consequences of sin going on, and yet there's Jesus not rejecting her, not hiding his face from her, but seeking to redeem her. And he also tells her the truth. Mm-hmm. He does. He says, right, you, you don't have a husband, and the guy you got now isn't your husband. He, he doesn't shortchange it, and he even rebukes her for her false worship. Now, I just recall, right, he rebukes her and says, you know, that the way you worship isn't right. Salvation is from the Jews. But he doesn't do those things to humiliate her, but to redeem her. And that does connect here to what God is doing through Hosea. It's not just to make the whole nation feel terrible. It's so that he can redeem them from death. Mm-hmm. And then we have that text, oh, death, where is your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Well, obviously, that if, if you've been to any uh, Christian funerals, that's going to remind you of 1 Corinthians 15. Mm-hmm. You know, 
when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And here we have that, the source of that here in Hosea. That's, that's, that's a pretty nice connection, because now when we read it at a funeral, we can think of not just our redemption through Christ so that we don't have to experience death or eternal death, but we can remember that God has saved us from our sins and from uh, the multiplicity of gods that we continually seem to want to follow. And, and actually, um, when Paul quoted this passage from uh, Hosea, he also pa- pasted it together with uh, a little bit from uh, an allusion to Isaiah 25, uh, where on the mountain of the Lord, uh, the, the Lord himself swallows up the veil that is cast over the peoples, and the veil is death. So, 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 uh, so the, when, when Paul says um, uh, death is swallowed up in victory, there, that, that passive voice there is actually a divine passive. It, it's God himself coming, God in, the, in Jesus coming himself and doing the saving uh, because people who are rebellious are, are dead in their sins. God has to make them alive. He has to come to them uh, and make them alive. Well, I want to get the last couple of verses mm-hmm. under our belt as we come toward the close of the show. This is going to be verses 15 and 16. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of Yahweh shall come rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched, it shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt, because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword, their little ones shall be dashed into pieces, and their pregnant women ripped open. Mm-hmm. So a, a really graphic way of ending this part. The very next verse, everybody should know, is return, O Israel, to Yahweh your God, right? So he's, he's, this graphic imagery isn't to leave them in their sins, but rather to pull them out of their sins. But that's some pretty graphic language. Uh, verses that I've heard quoted by atheists to discredit Christians, right? Here we have God promising to dash children into pieces and rip open pregnant women. I think that's out of context, of course. Mm-hmm. And then I've actually heard this text and others as a, a as, as evidence for God being for abortion, believe it or not. Uh, there's so many ways in which the Bible is misused, and this very graphic text is unfortunately one of them. Uh, what's the best way to understand it? Well, I think if you look there in um, verse 15, the east wind... Uh, the wind of the Lord, uh, that's a reference to the Assyrian army. Uh, they're coming. And when they come, uh, uh, and by the way, if you know anything about ancient Assyria, uh, cruelty w- within the ancient world, they may have been the, the cruelest. We, we don't have time to go into it, but but horrific. You didn't want to mess with the Syrians. Uh, when, when they came, these were the things that would happen. And really, by the time you get down to the end of verse 16, the the little ones are dashed to pieces and their pregnant women are ripped open. If you 
if you put that in counterpoint against the initial blessing of the Lord in Genesis chapter 1, when God blesses, people are fruitful and multiply. And, you know, you step outside of those blessings, even, even the children in the womb are killed. Even that happens, which is really a grim reminder of, of, of where we are as a culture, Western culture, American culture. Uh, this, is, this is a dark place we're in. I think people confuse God's description, even graphic, of what will happen with the idea that God is the one perpetrating this upon the people. Mm-hmm. Now, we can't get God off the hook. He certainly allows these horrible things to happen. But at the same time, we must remember that the point of him telling them in advance is so that they would not have to endure it. And yet, if you're correct that the Assyrians are pretty much already on the scene, or even if they're just very close, maybe this disaster is not going to be averted at this point. But them, him proclaiming the reality of where this all came from, them abandoning God, not embracing his uh, blessings. This isn't God punishing his people. This is God once again reminding them that there are consequences to infidelity, uh, horrid, horrific consequences. And so when we look back, I think instead of trying to judge God for what he's allowed to happen, we should be a lot more humble and realize this is why we too must turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, any last words as we're up against the last minute? Well, it, it may well be that there were survivors who lived beyond this horrible moment, and they were able to say, you know, the prophet Hosea told us about this. He was right, and I guess now we really should repent. It's a sort of a more graphic version of the Tower of Siloam, but the message is the same. Mm-hmm. We see these things happening. We should repent. It, and proclaim the word to others so that they may too repent. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Forest Park, Illinois. Brother, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Folks, on tomorrow's program, we bring the book of Hosea to a close with chapter 14, a final impassioned plea from God through the prophet Hosea to the people that they would return from him, or return to him, rather. Um, That's what we're going to talk about. So join us as we reflect on their response and what ours should be. Read this. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.